I, I want you to let this grace and let this truth sink deep into you. I want you to marinate in it for the length of this service. That God's redeeming love is real and that because of that it is never too late. Let that sink deep into your soul. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus is being crucified. He has been whipped. He has been mocked. There were, they took brambles and made them into a crown and sh shoved it down upon his head. He carried this beam of wood out to a hill. And on that hill, they laid him on the beam of wood and they drove nails through his hands into the beam. Christians see the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the hinge point of all history. On that cross, we believe that a cosmic exchange took place. That Jesus withstood for us the justified anger of God for all of the ways that we have rebelled against God and injured everyone and everything that God loves. But then in Jesus' vindication in the resurrection, God's uh, forgiveness was at a fresh start and a reconciled relationship with your creator that was extended to all people who would receive it. Extended to all people who would trust Jesus. So because of all the meaning that we as Christians, or if you ever become a Christian, because of all the meaning that we see in the crucifixion of Jesus, we can lose sight of the fact crucifixions happened all the time. It was perhaps the cruelest form of capital punishment in the Roman Empire, made all the more cruel by the fact that Jesus was innocent, that Jesus had done nothing wrong. The man without blemish offered himself as a sacrifice so that you and I could become children of God. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And the contrast between these two criminals is fascinating. We learn in verse 39 that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So Messiah refers to God's promised Savior. The criminal is essentially saying, so you're God's promised Savior. Time to get to the saving part. Save yourself and us. And us. What a benevolent guy. And us. But when you read the verses that surround what this criminal says right before verse 39, you'll see that he's just doing what the other people around the cross were doing. They were mocking Jesus. They were jeering and sneering at Jesus. This criminal has come to the end of his life, but it's like he won't admit it. He is willing to go to his grave, jeering and mocking a world that he still sees through cynical eyes. He is dying beside Jesus, and yet he still insists on giving two middle fingers to the world. But the other criminal rebuked him, rebuked the first criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. So this second criminal, who has done something to warrant capital punishment, we don't know what. This second criminal is far more sober, far more humbled. 
He is not won over by the mocking and the jeering of the crowd because their end is not in sight, but his is. And he can feel the pain shooting through his body. And he wonders how many more times he will be able to pull up and breathe. That's how crucifixion kills you. It weakens you to the point that you cannot pull up and inhale breath. And so he's asking different questions. He sees the world maybe for the first time through new eyes. He is walking into death. Darkness is approaching. And he is scared about what he will find there. He fears God. And as he looks into the deep and compassionate eyes of Jesus, he says one final thing, and it is this. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognizes his own guilt. He recognizes Jesus' innocence. Darkness is approaching. And this criminal is afraid of walking into what exists after this earth. He has done so much wrong in this life. What will it be like to face his maker? So he has one request of Jesus. Jesus, whatever there is on the other side of death, remember me. I'm under no illusion this is going to go well. But just don't forget about it. So, unless you got here late or you don't remember from earlier, uh, Kendall read Jesus' response to this request. Before I get to the response, though, I want to do like a movie thing. Where the criminal says, remember me, and then the screen kind of fades to black and it goes to like a flashback from something previous in the life of Jesus. And then we'll cut back to the scene and it'll be more dramatic. We'll see. We'll see if this works. So the criminal says, remember me. And the event I want to flash back to is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 15. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable. Jesus tells a story of what God's family is like. And this is the parable. Jesus taught, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So we've got this landowner, and he owns a vineyard. Let's call him Beauregard. That sounds like the name of someone who would own a vineyard. So we've got Beauregard. And apparently it must be harvest time because it's time to harvest these grapes. And so Beauregard goes out into the town and finds some laborers at 6 a.m. and sends them in to labor in the vineyard to make, I'm sure, non-alcoholic beverages This is the end result of all this. <laughs> and we are told that he agrees to pay each of them a denarius. So most Bibles will have a footnote that would let you know a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer of that day and time. So this is a very reasonable deal that's been made. All right. So in that day and time, uh, as you may or may not know, they often thought of the day as a 12-hour day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with 12 hours of sunlight. So he goes out at 6 a.m., he finds these workers, sends them in the vineyard. Jesus continues his parable. 
About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. So for those keeping score at home, at this point we have a 6 a.m. crew, a 9 a.m. crew, a noon crew, and a 3 p.m. crew, all working away in the vineyard. But darkness is approaching. And Beauregard does not have stadium lighting in the vineyard. And so he goes out one more time. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Doesn't say anything about what he'll pay him. Different than the other ones. You go work in my vineyard. Now, if you operate on a 12-hour day that starts at 6 a.m., what is 5 p.m.? It's the 11th hour of the day. You know that expression, the 11th hour, that if something happens at the last possible moment, you say, that happened at the 11th hour. This is where that expression came from. Jesus made up that expression. He has the copyright to that one. And it's in this parable that he first made it up. The people that got hired at the 11th hour. So think about this from the perspective of the 5 p.m. crew. They've been waiting out in the town square all day, but no one has offered them work. And now it's getting late. Darkness is approaching. They are day laborers. This is what they do. And harvest season is their peak economic season. Their year is determined by how well they do in, in harvest season. And they are seeing the sun beginning to go down. Darkness is approaching and they realize I'm about to go home with nothing for my family today. And all of a sudden a guy shows up and says, come work for me. And they jump at the opportunity because it's better than nothing. And then 6 p.m. comes. It's quitting time. Beauregard goes to pay all the workers. Now if you're in the 5 p.m. crew, what are you gonna get paid? In your mind, I'm going to get paid for an hour's worth of work. And I like it because it's better than nothing. And this is where Jesus points out that God's family is different. Jesus says this in the parable. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. A day's wage. In fact, what we learn in the parable is that everybody got paid a denarius. The 5 p.m. crew, the 3 p.m. crew, the noon crew, the 9 a.m. crew, and the 6 a.m. crew, they all got paid the same thing. What is Jesus trying to communicate about God's family? He's trying to communicate it's never too late. The 5 p.m. crew was happy to make anything because it was better than nothing. And yet in God's family, the 5 p.m. crew is treated just like the 6 a.m. crew. And so you have this criminal who in a stroke of God's grace realizes he is being executed beside Jesus. 
And in a very non-formulaic way, his heart starts to turn in Jesus' direction as he can admit his own guilt, as he can acknowledge who Jesus is. Darkness is approaching, and yet his life is turning in Jesus' direction in the same way that some of us did when we were children, in the same way that others of us did when we were teenagers, in the ways that others of us did when we were adults or even adults in our later years, in the ways that I hope some of us who are cautious or curious about Jesus will do very soon. Darkness is approaching. His 11th hour is here, and he turns to Jesus as his sole source of hope. And so he makes this request, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers his request with something he could never have imagined. He's hoping to get something because it's better than nothing. And yet Jesus answers him with something more unfathomable than giving a day's wage to the 5 p.m. crew. Jesus shows us that that parable about workers in the vineyard, Jesus is about to live out the meaning of the workers in the vineyard. That the 5 p.m. crew is part of the family too. And Jesus responds, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. He went here because it was better than nothing. Jesus responded, here. Jesus says, not only will I remember you, I will include you. It's not that someday from my throne, generations and eons from now, I'll remember you and go, oh, I remember that guy. That was, that was quite a thing, meeting that fellow on the cross. He's not going to just remember him from his throne somewhere. He is going to include this man in his kingdom. And this is going to happen today. He says to the man, you are about to close your eyes. And when they open again, you will see something that language cannot capture. <coughs> Jesus gives this man the same thing he gives to every person who is his disciple, everyone who is his follower. Jesus gives him eternal life in his presence, eternal life in paradise. He's missed out on abundant life on earth. But he will not miss out on eternal life in the presence of Jesus. Now we go back to the parable for a minute. In the parable, Jesus anticipates some of the workers in the earlier crews get fussy about this whole the 5 p.m. crew gets paid a day's wage. And this is the response of the vineyard owner, who we've called Beauregard. The vineyard owner says this. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, when you sort of move the interpretation forward, that would be Jesus' response. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own grace? Or are you envious that I am generous? That I'm generous. That God is generous. It is never too late because God is generous. It is never too late to follow Jesus because God is generous. It is never too late to turn your life in a new direction because God is generous. Even at the 11th hour, even when darkness is approaching, it is never too late because God is generous. And so my question to you would be this. 
Where in life do you need to recognize that because of God's generosity, it is never too late? Where in your own life do you need to recognize that because God is generous, it is never too late? Maybe it's in your relationship with God through Christ. That you've spent so many years avoiding God that it kind of seems silly to now get serious about God or try to know God or try to grow closer to God. It's never too late. It's never too late. God loves and honors the 5 p.m. crew in the same way that he does the 6 a.m. crew. Maybe for you it's a relationship that has gone sour. Maybe for you it's a marriage that has gotten really hard. It, it hardly seems worth fighting for, trying to salvage the relationship. It is never too late. Maybe it's an area of life or an area of your character that has fallen into disrepair. It's been on the wrong track for so long now. It hardly seems worth addressing. It is never too late. It is never too late because God is generous. And Jesus is saying whether you consider yourself part of the 6 a.m. crew or the 9 a.m. crew or the noon crew or the 3 p.m. crew or the 5 p.m. crew, take joy in the fact that I have been generous to you. Take joy in the fact that I am working in your life. Take joy in the fact that I'm working in your life and actually join me in the work that I'm doing in your life. About 24 hours before Jesus was crucified beside this man, we saw truly the worker in the vineyard parable lived out as Jesus died on the cross. Jesus shared a meal with his disciples, which we now call communion. As we come to the communion table, thus the communion table and the crucifixion have forever been linked in the Christian mind. As we come to this table, we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. We remember his generous and sacrificial love on our behalf. And we express our dependence on him as our source of hope, our source of joy in this life and in the life everlasting. God is generous. <coughs> so with that, I'm going to transition us into a time of prayer and extended reflection. Also, during this time, I would love to invite those who are Christians to come and receive communion. Doesn't matter what branch of the Christian family tree you fell out of. If you follow Jesus, if you're committed to Jesus, come and receive. If you've very recently become a Christian, or today you would like to become a Christian, I would encourage you to come and receive today as your way of, of sort of expressing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I am receiving God's generosity through Jesus. There are six stations around the room where you can receive. They're all the same except for two. There will be two in the middle, and then the four corners. The different ones are in this corner will be the gluten-free station, and in this corner will be the kneeling station. At any station, you can come, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it there. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church in Corinth when he said, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. 
When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the unearned, unmerited generosity of God until he comes again. Let's pray together.